Love that song. Uh, love that prayer. Uh, thank you so much, worship team, uh, for uh, kicking off our worship service. And now we're going to continue in worship uh, by turning in our Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 45 to 52. Uh, we are continuing uh, kind of the story from last week. We did uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Mark, chapter 6, and now we're continuing that. Uh, so we're just right after that passage, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Um, I don't know about you, I sing songs like, like that, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and uh, we're going to talk about God's holiness today, revealed to us in Christ, and I just think like, man, I just, I don't even think I have like a, a, a gl- like a sliver of understanding of truly how magnificent and awesome and powerful and holy our God is. Anyone ever feel that way? Like, oh man, I don't, and so yeah, there's three of you that agree with me. The rest you can, you can tune out. That's fine, but I'll talk to those three. And uh, man, I just think about that and his, his just awesome power that he has. And uh, you look at creation, and um, you just think uh, his power is beyond what we can fathom. And then we think that God is love, right? And so his love, like, comes at us with that same, the, with the power of God. And it hits you, right? And it should, it, you should never be the same when you've encountered the love of God. And not only that, but it kind of hits you, and then it's like the way God designed it is for, like, like to spread out from you, right, to others, around you and that's what we want to be a church that does that that's just that love of God that we just can't even fathom or comprehend but we know that now that we've encountered it we can't be the same and uh, so I just man I just want to share that love with with uh, with our, my, our neighbors and the nations right and that's uh, why we exist as a church and so uh, uh, David Henry just announced uh, that meeting on Tuesday so it's Tuesday at 7:30, and we just want to grow in that we think we can do a better job at uh, being intentional about loving our Tipton neighbors. And so if that's been on your heart, uh, then we want you to be part of that. So please come. It's just right here at the church at 7.30 on Tuesday. It's, you're not committing to anything long-term, but just to come and just learn uh, uh, what's going on and potentially how you can be part of that. So I uh, would love for you uh, to join us on Tuesday at 7.30. Sound good? All right, that's a, that was a, a sermon for free. How about that? You got two sermons for the price of one this morning. For you guys are very lucky, uh, man. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, look at our Bibles now. Like I said, we're going to be in uh, the story that happens right after the feeding of the 5,000 and in Mark's account. And uh, it's what we have here this morning in Mark chapter 6 is a good old-fashioned ghost story. And so we're going to look at that. So uh, look there with me. I'm going to read the passage and then I'll pray and we'll begin. So look at with me, Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 52. Immediately he made his disciples, right after he fed the 5,000, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came by them, came to them, excuse me, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when, he, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. 
But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, may we not have hardened hearts. May we see you for who you are. You are holy, 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 worthy, 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 name above all names. And uh, God, I'm just, uh, man, just so often I give my heart to lesser things. Uh, so often I, like Eve in the garden, see that the tree is actually good for me and for making of myself wise and uh, take and eat. And we all do that, God. And um, like Cain, we have all had murderous thoughts in our hearts. And uh, God, we just need a Savior. And you sent us one, and it's Jesus. And he's just the best. So we just praise you for that. And uh, Lord, it's just such a privilege uh, that we have been given your word to see these accounts of the life of Jesus. So God, give us an anticipation of what you're going to do, not only in us, but uh, just in this scripture, but in us and in our hearts as we encounter it, God. And just, we don't want to be the same. Uh, may we not leave here the same, but may we be changed an encounter with the living God. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here or watching online who does not know you uh, as Savior, um, that does not know, God, that you sent your Son to die and raise again so that we can uh, live forever in eternity with you, God, I pray that they would know that today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, have you ever had an experience where you go into something expecting it to be like one way, and then you come out of it and you realize, oh my goodness, that was uh, completely different than I was expecting. I had that, uh, I don't think I've shared this story before, uh, but back when we lived in Iowa, had a coworker at the church I was working at, and she was in the community play, and uh, it was a play called uh, Into the Woods. It's a musical. Anyone ever heard or seen Into the Woods? I think it's a movie. Um, not very many, so you, and I had never heard of it before. Um, but I didn't know anything about it. I was like, yeah, we'll come. And what I kind of had picked up third hand was it's kind of like a Disney-type musical-type thing, and Cinderella is involved. It's like a princess fairy tale-type story. And so, uh, so we went to it, and uh, through the first act, that's exactly what it was. And, uh, and, and then the second act started, and if you've seen it, a couple of you know what happens, but like one by one, every character starts to die in like these just like brutal, like tragic ways. And I was like, what is happening? This is not at all what I was expecting. It was terrifying. And uh, so I looked at Emily like, what did we get ourselves into? Like we almost just wanted to leave. Like we had no idea anyways. But um, that's what it was supposed to be. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And uh, I was like, walk out of there like, well. That was uh, different than I was expecting. And uh, that is the same uh, experience that I had studying our passage this week, actually. I went into this story expecting it to be about one thing, and I came out of studying this story uh, realizing that was different than I was expecting. 
You see, there's something very unique about our Bibles, which is that we have four different accounts of Jesus' life, don't we? Those accounts are called the what? Gospels. That was just a freebie to make sure you're awake, and you're not. So those four accounts are called the what? Thank you. There we go. And it's a real blessing to have the four Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, because each one is written by a different author and brings a unique perspective on Jesus' life. It's also somewhat of a challenge to have four different Gospels because each one brings a unique perspective on the life of Jesus. And there's certain times when you're reading different accounts of the same story and you try to mush them together and you go, huh? How does, how does that work? And this is one of those times uh, when you read one account of the story and then you read another account of the story and you're like, this doesn't seem to make any sense. And um, that's because... Uh, Matthew's account specifically of Jesus, Jesus walking on the water uh, is very different. In fact, something happens in Matthew's account that seems to be like the main thing that Mark completely leaves out. What is it? Peter, right? Getting out of the boat and walking on the water, and then he starts to sink, and then Jesus, you know, gives his hand, and then he j- took his eyes off Jesus and all that. And, and uh, Mark didn't even mention that. Did you notice that when we read? This is the same account. If you read Matthews and you read Mark, you, hear, you read, they both happen after feeding 5,000. The same exact words are used. But then Matthew talks about Jesus, Peter getting out of the boat, and Mark doesn't even mention it at all. And what happened? I don't know. Do you think Mark wrote his whole gospel and gave it to his friends? Like, hey, check out this book I just wrote. I'm calling it The Gospel of Mark. And uh, his friends read it, like, and they're like, hey, it's really good, but you forgot. Remember when Peter got out of the boat? And you're like, oh, man, I completely forgot to include that detail. Do you think that's what happened? No, very good. Yeah, I don't think that's what happened either. So what gives? Why does Mark fail to include this, like, hugely significant event that took place? Well, it's because of this. It's because Matthew and Mark had different purposes in mind for including this story. And that's something that is really important for us to remember as we study and read the Gospels. The Gospels aren't just like four people's diaries about what happened with Jesus and uh, some things they have in common, some things they have different, and when they have different things, it's maybe because one person forgot or, or, or misremembered when something happened or something like that. That's not what it is. What we have are four authors who are taking the stories of Jesus' life and their personal encounters and the, like, their personalities and the way that God wired them to be, but they're laying out a story for us to understand uh, their point of view and their perspective, if that, if that makes sense. It, it doesn't really make sense, and that's okay. <laughs> it's kind of hard to understand. We could do a whole foundations class on how the Gospels are put together. And some of you are like, that sounds amazing. Some of you are like, that's the nerdiest thing I've ever heard in my life, and that's okay. But uh, it's, it, what we need to just remember uh, when we study the Gospels, is we need to take each author at his own word. And then when we can learn more by looking at the other stories, that's great. But there also, when we come to a story like this and we see Mark didn't include what seems to be the most important thing, we need to look at that. And rather than thinking he must have just messed up, we need to think there has to be a reason, and there is a reason. And so we're going to dig uh, and find that reason. So look with me again, starting in verse 45, and we are going to look at this story. 
Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Okay, so these verses are the setting, right? The setting is before us. We have disciples on a boat. We have Jesus dismissing the crowd from when he fed them, and uh, then he goes on a mountain to pray. So this is just kind of setting the scene for what's happening. But there's an urgency to this language at the very beginning, right? Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. It doesn't say, like, uh, after everyone finished eating, they kind of cleaned up, and then he said, all right, disciples, you're dismissed. You can go hang out on the boat if you want to. No, immediately, he made them get into the boat. Like, hey, disciples, get in the boat right now and go and start rowing. And uh, why do you think that is? I don't really know. There's some speculation about why that could be. Some people think that um, because of these massive crowds that are just flocking to see Jesus wherever he is, that there's talk of insurrection, and they're trying to make Jesus kind of like the leader uh, to overthrow the Roman government And at this time. And so maybe that was happening at this moment. So Jesus is like, I got to defuse this situation. Disciples, you guys get out of here. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go on this mountain by myself and try to maybe calm things down. That's, I think, a reasonable explanation, but I don't know exactly why, but I do know this, and this is what we can all see very clearly in the text. Jesus told the disciples to do something, and then they obeyed, and then their obedience got them into a world of trouble, didn't it? Did you notice that? Jesus says, get on the boat now. So they get on the boat, and it's a disaster. (laughs) Strange, isn't it? Some people who like to teach that if you'll just obey Jesus... You won't encounter any storms in your life. Every time you have a problem, it's because you weren't obedient to God, is what some people will say. If you will just be obedient, your life would be smooth sailing, pun intended. But here, the disciples obeyed Jesus, and it took them where? Right into a storm. Now, to be clear... There are times, right, we can all, yeah, yeah, this is true. There are times when you could avoid difficulty and problems in your life by following Jesus, right? We can all think of a time when we would have been saved a lot of pain if we would have just obeyed what Jesus said. But what I'm saying, and we need to, and it's just right here in this passage, obeying Jesus does not guarantee that you won't face storms because Jesus literally sends his disciples Right into one. Go, get on the boat now, into that storm. You're going to get stuck out there. Jesus sends us into storms sometimes, doesn't he? It's a fact. Can anyone attest to that? When you think of a time when you were obedient in your life to what Jesus was calling you to do, and it took you right into a storm, I certainly can so what we need to know is, it's not that following Jesus will make you avoid storms, but what we see clearly in this passage is that there is a purpose when he does that. This is not like Jesus forgot to check the weather app on his iPhone before he told his disciples to get in the boat, right? Oh, no, I forgot about the big storm. He's the, in charge of the weather, so he, he knew that the storm was, was coming. There's always a purpose, in verse 48, 48, we're going to see them start to struggle. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind 
was against them. So they're, they're in the boat, and they're struggling. I don't know if you ever had an experience like this. I was in Florida one time and uh, got on a paddle board and one of these stand-up paddle board things and went out and, and there's like a kind of an islandy type thing that I went to. It was a ways off and was with the current and didn't know about currents and so I just went and it was fine and then turned around and immediately started paddling and I was like, well, I'm paddling forward and I'm going backwards. What's, uh, what's going on here? And uh, that was just in a beautiful day, right? But it was a, it was a miserable feeling. I got to get down on my knees. I'm just like paddling as hard as I can uh, for felt like an hour uh, to finally get back. They're straining at the oars. They're making headway painfully. This is difficult and this is a hopeless feeling when you're in a storm and you're trying to get somewhere and it feels like you're paddling forward and they're going backwards. And uh, not to mention it's starting to get dark. And Jesus sees all of this and so Mark tells us what happens next. So they're, they're going all night, about the fourth watch of the night, it says, which is, starts at three o'clock in the morning. He came to them. What's he doing? Walking where? On the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Well, how about that? That's unexpected. I don't know about. I don't know if you know this, but uh, you can't walk on water. It's actually impossible to do. Um, it's not really a place where you can walk. It's, interestingly enough, there's. I read there's some people who explain this. Uh, they say it wasn't a supernatural thing. They say they have what's called the sandbar theory, which is that you know it's dark and there's mist coming off the water. And what the disciples forgot was that there's actually a sandbar right underneath where Jesus was walking. So he's just walking in like a couple inches of water, but the disciples didn't know it, and so they're just oh he's walking on the water. Um, no, that's I don't subscribe to the sandbar theory of this passage. I believe that uh, Jesus walked on the water, and that's exactly the reason I believe that is that's exactly what the disciples believed. And their response was exactly what your response would have been. Ah, it's a ghost. <laughs> Paddle faster, right? I mean, oh my goodness. They were terrified. I'm sure uh, some of them wet their pants a little. I probably would have done that too. It's terrifying what they're seeing coming at them. So look what happens next. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, meaning from the feeding of the 5,000. They were astounded, like flabbergasted, dumbfounded, not like astounded to worship, like, oh, but astounded, like, what is going on? Because their hearts were hardened. That's the story right there. Again, we know that Peter gets out of the boat. Starts walking on the water, takes his eyes off Jesus, sinks. Uh, we know that happens, but Mark didn't want us to include that uh, for, every, for whatever reason. The story that Mark gives us, so we have the disciples rowing, Jesus is on the mountain praying, Jesus sees him struggling, walks out on the water, disciples freak out, Jesus says, don't freak out, it's me, it's, it's Jesus, and he gets in the boat, and the storm stops, and the disciples are dumbfounded. And so... What do we do with, the, with this story that we have right here in front of us? And why didn't Mark include the part about Peter getting out of the boat? 
Well, like last week, if you were here last week, um, you'll know that we saw, we kind of read through the feeding of the 5,000, what was it, five different times. We saw different layers that were emerging for us every single time we looked through it. If you didn't uh, hear that sermon, you should go back and and listen to it. It will give good context for this uh, passage. Uh, There's always more than meets the eye. And... uh, The same that we saw last week is true in this story. And I I started noticing it. uh, There were a couple things as I was just studying this passage um, before I even started reading any commentaries about it, but just things that stuck out to me that were different than what I was expecting, that were strange. And the first one was that um, the main conflict in the story isn't the storm. It's, It's not. If you look at it, like what has the disciples the most scared in this story. Jesus walking on the water, right? And so we don't even really hear about, like we know that they're working hard in the storm, but we, we're not given their reaction to it. We're given their reaction to Jesus where they were terrified. And then there was one other weird thing that I noticed, and I've kind of skipped past it, but I wonder if you've noticed it in this passage as well. The de- a detail that I could not figure out for the life of me It's from the last part of verse 48. What's it say? Jesus is out on the water, and what's his plan? He meant to pass by them. What in the world? His plan was like to see his disciples struggling, and then I'm just going to walk on the water just because I don't feel like getting in a boat. Oh, hey, disciples, crazy storm we're having, huh? Anyways, see you guys later. I'll see you on the other side. Was that Jesus' plan? plan. Why did he mean to pass by? That's what it says. We got we to gotta do something with that. It says he meant to pass by them. Anyone a little confused by that? Okay. Again, there's the same three uh, from earlier. That's good. We are like in lockstep today. Turns out that that little phrase, I think, is actually the key to understanding exactly what's going on in this passage. All right, so someone was who was here last week, we saw a connection between the feeding of the 5,000 and another story in the Old Testament. Does anyone remember what that story was? I've, I've got a lot of mumbling. The one, well, Pam's got it. Moses, good job, Pam. Moses in the wilderness, right? So the disciple, Jesus takes the disciples to have some rest in the wilderness, and, uh, and then there's a whole bunch of people there, and miraculous bread comes and feeds them in the wilderness. And there's a very clear and direct connection of kind of Jesus por- portraying both the Moses figure in the story of Exodus and the God figure in the story of Exodus, right? He's both Moses leading his people to the wilderness, and he's God providing bread, for the people. And so Mark is like, as we're reading this story, we should have Moses on our minds. And we actually need to continue to have Moses on our minds. And you know who's going to be really good at this are the students in youth group. Raise your hand if you're a youth group student, because you guys have been studying. Okay, so you guys are going to have to help me here. You guys have been studying Exodus, right? Yeah, okay. So you guys, there's a lot here. There's a lot of Exodus in this uh, passage. So let me just see. Are there, ask you first, are there any things that you see any connections uh, between Jesus and Moses. And just starting out, uh, verse 46, look at that. And what do, Is there anything that you can think of that reminds you of Moses in verse 46? This is kind of, I know, it's more like a lecture, more, more participation than normal, but 
I don't know, just trying it out. What do you see? Verse 46. He's on the mountain, right? And Moses goes on a mountain to meet with God. Jesus dismisses the disciples and then alone, like Moses, goes on a mountain to meet with God. What other connections do we see in this passage between Jesus and Moses? What about like just walking, like it's not a perfect connection, but like water being a place to walk, right? Now in in the Exodus, the Red Sea parted and Israel walked on dry land. But here we have Jesus using the water as a walkway, just like Israel did. And certainly we're supposed to call that to mind. What else? Well, here's where it gets cool, because there's, there's, uh, there's certain things that don't necessarily come out in our uh, English translations. But when the disciples uh, get really scared and think that there's a ghost coming for their boat, what does Jesus say? He says, take heart, it is I do not be afraid. Now, this gets lost, like I said, in our translation. When Jesus says, it is I, the Greek is ego eimi. Ego eimi. And it means I am. I am. When is I am significant in the Moses story? The burning bush, right? Moses says, I'm going to go tell all your people that, that, that God's, God told me these things, but wh- what should I say your name is? And God says, I am who I am. So we have God appearing in a miraculous way and saying, I am. And here on the water, Jesus appears to his disciples in in a miraculous way. He says, don't be afraid. I am. Okay. So let's go back to that strange little phrase. He meant to pass by them. We're supposed to clearly, you with me on this? Like, we're supposed to be in Moses' world in this story? Are you buying it? Are you buying what I'm selling here? Yeah? Okay. So thinking in Moses' world, is there a time, this is a little bit tougher one, is there a time in the story of Moses when the passing by is significant? Yeah. So right in the, the, the end, in Exodus 33, I believe, Moses asks God, he says, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And God says, well, if you see my face, you're going to die. I'm too glorious. You can't just look at me. You can't just look at my face. Anyone who looks at my face is immediately toast, right? So what does God say? There's a solution. It gives him grace. I'll let you see my glory. You go hide in that rock, and then I'll cover you up with my hand, and I'll pass by, and then when I'll remove my hand, and you can look and you can see my back and you can see my glory just in my back. If you don't, don't believe me, look at that. Read that story for yourself. You, the phrase passes by happens four different times in just those few short verses. He meant to pass by them. Jesus has come down from the mountain and he's walking on the sea and he meant to pass by. Do you understand what he's doing here? Jesus is trying to show them the glory of God. Everything about this story, from the mountain to the storm, to the walking on water, to the I am, to the meaning to pass by, points to this one undeniable fact, which is that Jesus is the physical manifestation of the glory of God. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his 
glory. Now, we, we often just focus on the first part of that, which is amazing, that God became flesh and lived with us. That is incredible. But then we kind of, and we've seen his glory. Yeah, we've seen his glory. No, you don't understand. We couldn't see it before. You would have died if you saw it. But now Jesus came and we've seen it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the what? Face of Jesus Christ. It's not just the back. You see what's happening here. We've seen his glory now in the face of Jesus Christ. So this whole story, it's not just about Having faith in, the, faith in the middle of life's storms, right? We like, sometimes want to reduce it to just that. Just trust in Jesus and he'll make your, your storms go away. No. This, this story is about a group of people who had an opportunity that no one since Moses had, and even a better opportunity than Moses, to see the very glory of God. And what did they do? Missed it. Why? Their hearts were hardened. Are we still in Exodus world? Whose heart was hardened? Pharaoh's heart was hardened, wasn't it? Pharaoh saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Ten of them, right? How many, how many plagues, students? Is that my right? Ten? Thanks for fact-checking me on that one. And, uh, and his heart was hardened. And the disciples have seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and they still didn't get it. They didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand about the ego, a me, the I am. They didn't understand about the passing by. Their hearts were hardened. And this is what always happens to me when I'm reading my Bible. It's like, uh, it's like I'm Charlie Brown, and I'm just trying to kick the football of like, darn it, you disciples, how did you miss it? And then the football gets torn away. It's like, darn it, Mike. Oh, how do you miss it? How often do I miss opportunity to see the glory of God? How often is my heart hardened toward Jesus and what he wants to do in me, of how he wants me to see him more clearly for who he is? When, I, when he shows me his glory, the response should not be, oh, well, I don't know what's going on, right? Like the disciples. He wants me to fall on my knees and worship him. And I miss it so often. And the disciples missed it here. But you know who didn't miss it in this story? The people on the other side of the shore. Look at verse 53. We're going to continue. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. I'm just noticing this as I'm speaking. They began to, they immediately recognized him. <laughs> the disciples didn't recognize him. The crowds recognized him. And so what do they do? Get all our sick people. <laughs> Jesus is here. 
Wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. They got it, right? Maybe they didn't understand theologically. They probably couldn't have said, like, oh, well, Jesus is both the new Moses figure and the new Yahweh figure, and he's redeemed. They, probably, they didn't understand that, maybe, but they understood, I just got to get close to him and he'll heal me. If I can just touch his garment, I'll be better. I need to be close to Jesus. That guy right there, the one he just got over here. His name's Jesus. He's going to make me well. He's going to heal me. Somehow, some way, he is the answer to everything that I am missing. I just got to be close to him. And in their desperation to draw near to Jesus, they experienced the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Church, are you desperate to draw near to Jesus? Or has your heart been hardened? I want you to think about that this morning. I'll tell you what, sometimes I meet people who claim to be Christians, but... The more that I talk to them, the more I realize they're just not all that amazed by the gospel, and they just get into weird, like, strange conspiracy theories, or they want to feel like the, the Bible is just a way for them to be smarter than everyone else, or like to really know what's going on. Other times I meet people who claim to be Christians, but they're just kind of bored by the whole thing, and their relationship with Jesus is just an obligation, (laughs) just like paying taxes, right? There's no joy there. And then sometimes I meet people and their passion for Jesus just like radiates from them. You know what I mean? You know what those people have in common is they just see the glory of God in Jesus. They just want to be close to Jesus. They just love Jesus. And don't you want to be that kind of person Like, when you die, what else would you want to be remembered for? Don't you want to be that kind of person when you you pass away, whenever your your days come to an end, and and people are like, look at this, look at at her Bible. We just found it. There's there's underlines on every page. You just know, like, she just loved the word. Look at this, look at, come look at this spot. See those marks on the carpet? That's where every day he knelt down and prayed and got before God. Look at this, look at, look at this. This is her, her prayer journal. And every, it has all the names of all the people that she prayed for. And every day she was praying through this list. Look at this. This was his, his bank account. I know we didn't think he had much money. He made a lot more than we thought. But you know what? He was giving so much away. You never would have known. Don't you just want to be that kind of person? It's like, I'm just all in for Jesus. Because we've seen his glory the glory of the only Son from the Father. And people couldn't see it before. It was shrouded, it was masked, it was mediated by other people. But we've seen the glory. Let's be a a glory people. People who are desperate. Say, well, I'm really far from there right now, Pastor Mike. I'm really far from there right now, too. And I want to be there. I want to be so hungry for more of him. How, how do we get there? I think it just starts by being captivated. 
with the glory of God in the face of Christ and with a softened heart and being in awe of this unbelievable truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and he's full of truth and he wants you to see him. That's why he came. He didn't have to come. (laughs) He came because he wants you to see him. Amen. Let's be people who are captivated by the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, God, we just confess that we miss you so often. That you want to reveal yourself to us more and more, and we just have hardened hearts and we don't see it. God, help us to see your glory. We just want to see it, God. Even seeing your back would be too much to handle. You've shown us your face in Jesus. And so forgive me, God, for the times that I've been bored by your glory, when I've been tempted to move on from your glory to other things. God, may we be so in all of you this week, this day, that like Moses, our faces are just radiating because we've encountered your glory. May we be the kind of people who just live our lives in such ways. I just want to be near to Jesus. It's not any more complicated than that. Sometimes we make it too complicated. God, help us to want to be near to Jesus. Forgive us for where we fall short. In Jesus' name, amen.